I chipped acres. Um, it was a big deal. Um, when I first got here, I didn't think it was a big deal to take chips. I thought it was stupid and, and uh, you know, I didn't understand the gravity of this disease. You know, when I first started coming around here, I uh, came into the program because I had a lot of court cases and they were offering me, you know, some time uh, being locked up with a bunch of fellas and it uh, didn't sound like an interesting idea for me. So I would come into Alcoholics Anonymous to beat court cases. And, uh, you know, I, I did that quite a few times in the beginning and, uh, you know, in and out for eight years. Um, you know, I, I'd have no problem saying, oh, I'm an alcoholic and I would share and I would, I would uh, say everything's good, life is good, you know. Because when I first got here, all I thought I needed was a job a car and some money in my pocket. I thought that was the, that was the deal. I thought that's what I needed. And um, so what I, what I did finally is uh, the last time that I was uh, out running and gunning is, is that I uh, piled up a bunch of cases uh, in different counties for the same thing. And um, they were really, they were going to, they were going to shut the door on me. I was going to get locked up for sure. And uh, so I was living in Newport Beach and I had in the year that I had started drinking and using again, I had burned down an amazing job that paid me very well. I lost my place on the water. Uh, I was uh, riding a bicycle all night long, looking for a place to hide out. I was sleeping in parking structures. I was sleeping in my work truck. I was, uh, you know, just, I wasn't living the way you should live if you live at the beach. That's what was really the truth, you know. And, uh, you know, I was so broken and, and I felt helpless and hopeless. But what was weird about it is that the year that I was using, the last year that I was using is that I had had enough little bits of AA that I knew there was a better place to go. I just couldn't get myself to come back to it. And when I finally got the, the last two cases, um, and uh, you know, truth, truth be told, I was, I was supposed to make some amazing deal that was gonna really help me out. And uh, it fell through. And then some girl spit in my face right there on the boardwalk. And at that point, I just was, I had had enough, you know, and uh, I, I was completely defeated at that point and I needed, needed a change. So I went to my neighborhood liquor store. Um, I borrowed $40 off the guy that worked at the, the register and I put $40 in my tank and I drove back to Covina. You know, and on the way back to Covina, I really, I, I felt like, all right, I'm gonna be all right. Everything's gonna work out because it always worked out when I would come around and I would get sober. And so I, I came back up and I kind of blew through and I was, I was around and, you know, and, and as it always happened when I was, when I got sober, you know, life would get good. I would get a good job. I, I would have uh, a beautiful woman and, and I'd have money in my pocket, you know, things on the outside appeared to be going well. And, uh, you know, I was around for about two years, hadn't worked a step. 
in all the years prior, I never worked a step because I didn't think that I was a true alcoholic. I sat in the room and I could pick everybody apart. I'm not like Mike. I'm not like Sergio. I'm not like Rob. Well, I was like Rob, but because <laughs> Rob and I hung out. But, uh, but there was so many things that you know people would share about, and I and I it was easy because I didn't want to be a part of, and so it was real easy to pick everybody apart. I didn't, you know, uh, I didn't put my kids in the bedroom so I could get loaded. I didn't do this, and I mean, I used all those little excuses to, you know, not believe that I was an alcoholic, and. Uh, you know, so I'm with this girl, you know, I asked her to marry me and, and, uh, you know, I, I was around and, and, uh, you know, this gentleman walked up to me and, and, uh, you know, he, he asked me a really simple question, you know, he said, Jason, you know, uh, people seem to like you, you know, you seem to get along really well down here. You seem to do okay for yourself. And, uh, he says, the one question I have is why do you think you're any different than us? And I didn't have an answer, you know? And so I went, I went home and I kind of played the tape through and I was, I was thinking about it, you know? And, and I, I come to the conclusion that, that I was really short to be leaving, you know? Like I, the job had already become more important. The girl had already become more important. Everything became more important. And, uh, and then I thought to myself, well, you know, the only thing that I haven't done around here is actually work the steps. You know, I had this beautiful woman that treated me well, and we, we got along fantastic, and, and I wanted to not lose that. And I wanted to, I didn't know at that point that there was so much more that was going to change in my life. I thought, you know, I was thinking small. It was just about this girl. I don't want to lose this girl because it was going to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, so I called him up, and I asked him to be my sponsor. And... This gentleman, uh, you don't call up to be a sponsor and then not call or not show up. I mean, you have to be a part of if you're going to be a sponsee of this guy. And so he started dragging me everywhere. You know, I clamped onto his leg. He didn't drag me. I clamped onto his leg because I needed something different. And uh, we hung out three or four times a week. We would go and support people. We would go and help people when they needed help. We were a part of, you know. Um, he would tell me, go introduce yourself to that guy. And by him just telling me that, I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen somebody standing in front of, you know, the Alano Club that just looked like they had nothing going on. And I just would walk up and introduce myself. And then later on, years later, a couple years later, they would come up to me and say, you know what, I want you to know that when you came up and introduced yourself to me, it meant a lot to me because 50 people walked by me and didn't see me. And, I, and, and I've, I've been not seen for so long. And uh, those are the things that he taught me. These gentlemen that I'm here with tonight, you know, they've taught me how to be a better man how to be a business owner, how to treat my wife well, how to treat the community well, and I'm forever grateful. I really am. You know, one of these gentlemen I, I used to party with when we were young, and you know, when I got sober the very first time in 1999, um, 
he was there and he had two years sobriety. And I was really grateful for that because I felt, I felt comfortable. I knew somebody, I knew somebody that I had hung out with and, you know, and I thank you for that, Rob, you know, I mean, I know that we didn't get here because we wanted to, you know, we got here because they kind of told us we had to, or we were going to be doing some major trouble. But, uh, you know, my life is amazing today. You know, it's real easy for us to sit and just complain and bicker about, you know, rough times and how bad this is and how, you know, excuse the term shitty, you know, we feel our life is. But the truth is, is, you know, we have an amazing life here. You know, we, we are better off than 80% of the world just because we can walk to our fridge and grab food. Just because we can go outside and get in our car. We have gas, we can go get gas when we want it. There's, there's this beautiful country that we live in that we get to go out and we get to travel and do beautiful things and see beautiful people, you know? So I'm living on a grateful side this week, you know, of how amazing this world is. And, and I, I just hope you can see the same. Thank you. Okay, our speaker tonight is my sponsor, George Pierce. Everybody, I'm George. I'm an alcoholic. How close do I have to stand to this thing? Right there. You want me to stand straight up now? Uh -huh. That's good. That's good. So like I said, I'm George. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, thank you, Jason. Uh, you guys kind of see why why uh, I bring him along, right? You know, he gives me all the attaboys, so I just keep bringing him. And uh, I... Uh, yeah, no, he, no, he doesn't get paid. Um, I... Uh, Oh, let's see. I have a sobriety date. It's August 29th, 1987. Uh, it's not my first sobriety date, uh, but I hope it's my last one. Um, I have a sponsor. His name's Bob Bro, and uh, I have a home group. It's a Thursday night book study in the Prince of Peace Church on Thursday night. It's pretty close. If you guys need a book study, we're there every Thursday night, and uh, it's a really good meeting. I. Uh, <clears throat> Thank you, Les, for asking me to come out. Uh, Les asked me to come out, I don't know, a couple months ago, and I told him that Rob could come. And uh, then he asked me to come out a couple weeks later, and uh, I told him yes, no problem, and then something came up and I couldn't come. So I had to send Javier, or I asked Javier, I didn't send nobody. Okay, I sent him. Uh, Javier came. So I have a question for everybody. Did Javier use any profanity when he was up here? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I heard you. Oh, yes? He dropped a bunch of F-bombs. Did he really? He said the word work. Well, I heard there's a recording, so I'm going to find out. Yeah, so, um, you know, Jason, Jason's memory, it's been a little while, so his memory's going. Uh, we were actually in a 26-week step study. And we were sitting there and he asked me a question. I go, well, who's your sponsor, Jason? And Jason says, uh, I don't have a sponsor. I don't, I, I don't need a sponsor. And I said, oh, okay. 
goes, yeah, everything's good. I, you know, I really, you know, well, and I asked him, so why are you here? And he said, well, this is our meeting, and they turned it into a 26-week step study, so, you know, and I said, oh, okay. And that's whenever I asked him why he thought he was different than us, you know, and, and uh, whenever I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I knew I was different. I didn't think I was different. I knew I was different. I was not one of you, right? Alcohol wasn't my problem. Now, I had just gotten two DUIs within a month and a half of each other. Um, and I came to my first meeting, uh, beginner's meeting at the 502 Club. Um, because at the drunk school, they said, if you go to the 502 Club on Wednesday night, it's only a one-hour meeting. And back then, it was the only one-hour meeting anywhere. There was no one-hour meetings. There seems to be a lot of them now, but there wasn't back then. So if you had a court card, you went to the... the the Wednesday night meeting at the club, and it, it, they had a, they had six topics that they did at that meeting. It was a beginner's meeting, and the night I went, the topic was, how do I know if I'm an alcoholic? And you know, I was sitting in the back row, of course, and I had never had a problem with alcohol. I had a problem with a lot of you and a lot of your laws and your things that you thought I should do, but I had no problem with alcohol, that, no problem whatsoever. And uh, so at some point, this, this old guy, his name was Old John. I'm sure there's plenty of you here that know him. Um, he was here for a long time. Old John stood up and he turned and he looked at me in the back row. And he said, if you don't think you're alcoholic, go have two drinks. <laughs> and I thought, OK, I will. <laughs> and uh, so whenever I left that meeting, um, I set out to go have two drinks. That's what I was going to do. You know, shortly after that, I, uh, I was off work for a minute, so I needed something to supplement my income. Uh, I had stopped being an entrepreneur a couple few years prior to that, but I, I was off work, so I needed something to supplement my, my income. And uh, I got arrested for selling narcotics to a police officer. And, uh, you know, two 502s and uh, arrested for that within a four-month period. And I didn't have a problem. I didn't have a problem. I, uh, you know, I, I, went to one, I went to that one meeting. Now, I was doing a, a six-month drunk school and a 20, or a six-week drunk school. I don't remember what it was, but one of them was a year. One of them was six months and one was a year. I was doing them both at the same time. Uh, and then I had to go to do drug diversion at the same time. So I was busy uh, just doing my commitments for the court. And, you know, I, I was going to prove to you people that I was an alcoholic. That, that was my goal at that point, is to prove to you people that I was an alcoholic. I knew none of you. There was really no good reason that I needed to prove to you that I was an alcoholic. And uh, if you're here tonight and you're going to leave and go have two drinks to prove that you're not an alcoholic, good luck. Uh, we usually don't need to prove prove that. I wasn't aware of that at the time, but it was really necessary for me to do it. And, uh, you know, I, uh, you know I've, I've had a busy, busy head all day today. I've just had a busy head. I, my day started out phenomenal. Uh, I woke up this morning. I do what I do every morning. I woke up. I got a cup of coffee. I sat down. I looked at my phone for a minute, and then I started doing my reading. And... Uh, I read my my meditation 
have this meditation book that I've been, that I picked up a few months ago and I love it. And you know, it was talking about, uh, you know, God being the director. And uh, I did my meditation and I went off to work. Um, and then I got the phone call. And it was my daughter on the other end and she was crying. And my daughter doesn't cry. She doesn't cry. And she's four years sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And she's doing really, really good. We have some family stuff going on and, and somebody in our family made her cry. And I, I, have, I have a problem with that. And then I found out that the same individual made my wife cry right after that. My wife doesn't cry. My wife's one of the nicest people in Alcoholics Anonymous as far as I'm concerned. So most of my day today was spent for the rest of the day thinking how I am going to react because I am going to react to this one. I promise you I'm going to react to this one. And I uh, didn't have to react. I didn't have to react. Hi, Mr. I don't have to run. I don't have to run everybody else's life today and I don't have to be responsible for what other people do. But my head's been busy all day long. It's been busy all day long. And whenever I get here tonight, my grand sponsor tells me that uh, my, he talked to my sponsor today and my sponsor said, ask me why he has, why I haven't called him. My sponsor's out of the country. <laughs> so I don't usually call him when he's out of the country. But I call, I, I did call somebody else that, uh, and, and I need to talk to him. This, this one's so good, I got to put it on paper and come tomorrow morning, I'll be putting it on paper. Because I know if I if I want to just go do this, it ain't gonna work. And so I figured I was gonna get that out as soon as I got up here, but um, I just I ha I have just had a busy busy head today, just a busy head today. And there's nothing I can do. There's just absolutely nothing I can do. And then I hear Don, my my former sponsor, um, it was Don Bab, and, and he sponsored me for a long time. And I heard him talking to me during the day. And I heard him say, George, we all got our stuff. He used to tell me, hey, George, we all got our stuff. You know, and somebody would just say, hey, George, we all got our stuff. And it would just, it would just take, it, it would just take whatever it was away. You know, because I know I got my stuff, that's for sure. And, um, and I want to welcome everybody that's new. And I didn't exactly get your name. Was that? Happy birthday. It's amazing. It's amazing. And for those of you that are that are brand new, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, everybody that took a chip, you know, some of these guys I know I know pretty well and welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. Probably the most important thing I'll tell you tonight is I love my life in Alcoholics Anonymous. I love my life in Alcoholics Anonymous. I uh, I was not gonna be an alcoholic and I was not gonna stay here. I uh, I ended up, you know, my drunk log is not uh, too fantastic. Um, it basically existed of me either getting or taking what I needed, whatever that was at the time. Uh, I very rarely earned it. <laughs> you know, I either stole it or I conned somebody into giving it to me, right? Um, and... Besides going to jail quite often, 
uh, for my antics. Uh, you know, I I really don't have some fantastic drunk log. I, I got sober the first time whenever I was 21 years old. Uh, that was shortly after I went to that first meeting. Um, I stayed sober for about six months. Uh, I had, I hear people talk about dry goods. You know, they did some dry, I didn't do dry goods. I snorted a lot of cocaine, okay? That's what I did. And I smoked a lot of cocaine. But I will tell you that alcohol was my primary function in life, was alcohol. I know that for a fact, no matter what other, what other uh, things enabled with that. And I would hang out with my cousin and my cousin was three years older than me and my cousin did a lot of stuff. He did a lot of stuff. He got in a lot of trouble and I, I followed him around and he was my hero. And, but I would watch him do things that, that a lot of people didn't do. Mr. Parker's you know, I watched him put a needle in his arm a lot. I watched him do the kind of stuff. You know, we had good drugs back in the day. We didn't have this food for crap they got today, uh, except for this fentanyl. That shit's a killer. Um, but I would watch him and I, I came up with my, with my benchmark. My benchmark was that if I ever put a needle in my arm, that's when it's too bad. That's when it's too bad. And that day came whenever that's all there was. I was drunk. And if I was drunk, I was liable to do just about anything. And that day came and Three days later, I was in my first rehab. That was about two months or three Dad, months after I had come to my first meeting. You're done? And I went to rehab and I, okay, I went up. to my first meeting. I went to the beanbag okay, meeting. It used to be across the street from the hospital that I was in or the rehab. It wasn't a sober living, it was a rehab. You know, it was, uh, I got my $50,000 big book in that rehab. You know, they taught me all kinds of good stuff. They taught me how to be assertive and talk about my feelings. And they, uh, they gave me a whole bunch of good stuff. And whenever I was leaving there, they told me that I should go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And I told them, yeah, I don't think I need to do that. I'm good. I mean, that's a lot, 90 meetings in 90 days. And so I got out of that place. I'd met her in there. Um, I met her and me and her got out of there and, uh, we started having some fun and I would go to these young people's meetings. Like I said, I was 21. Um, I go to these young people's meetings and, you know, she decided that she was gonna, that she was gonna drink. It was going to be okay for her to drink. And, uh, so I would go with her and we would go to like the Pomona Valley mining company for happy hour. And I would sit there, I would watch her drink and I'd just be angry. I'd just be angry. I can't, oh, I can't drink. I'd just be angry. And so that stuff went on for about a year and a half. Well, no, it, so it only took about a couple months before I took my, was going to have my two drinks. Cause I was still trying to, I was still going to prove to you. I was going to have two drinks. And, uh, I did. I only had two drinks that first night. I only had two drinks. I did it that first night. I was successful. <laughs> And the next day, two drinks was out the door. <laughs> and so for another year and a half, I lived in the misery of alcoholism. And it was bad. It was just bad. You know, we would do two, three, four day runs. 
you know, and it was just bad. And I put that woman through through a, a part of her life that I'm sure she'll never forget. But it's a part that for a long time I wanted to forget. I'm glad now I didn't forget it. And, you know, she would, she, she was never alcoholic, but she would go with me to meetings. And she ended up coming to Alcoholics Anonymous three months before. Uh, she, after she told me to get out, she was done. She came to Alcoholics Anonymous, so I, uh, I continued doing what I was doing. And I, uh, I ended up doing what I'd done. I was a car killer. Uh, I, uh, I seemed to have a problem with cars. And uh, so my last night drinking, I killed another car. And I was in Hollywood with a friend. We went to a club and I was going to have two drinks. It was a conscious thought. It was constantly a conscious thought that I was going to have two drinks. Um, so whenever I would get there, I'd have the two strongest drinks you could get because I was only going to have two drinks. And somewhere about, I don't know, 40, whatever it was, I went into a blackout. I didn't black out that often, but I blacked out. And I woke up somewhere on La Brea at a burger stand at like one o'clock in the morning, not knowing where I'm at, asking a guy for directions. And got back in my car. I don't know if I fell asleep or blacked out or what happened, but I ended up hitting the park car and then tried to find a phone so I could call them to help me one more time. And I couldn't find a phone could not find a phone to save my life. So I went back to my car, I passed out, I woke up when the sun came up, I peed my pants one more time. I looked across the street and there was a phone. And uh, I called them. They said, we're not helping you no more. And I called somebody else, hey man, I'm not, I can't, I can't do it. So during that year and a half, periodically, uh, there was some attempts to get sober. And I would go to meetings. I would go to meetings everywhere. I'd go to meetings in Monrovia. I would go to meetings in San Diego. A long way from me. I lived in Covina. And actually, I was living in La Puente. But I would go to meetings far places. And this guy that I'd been sober with whenever I was here for a minute, every time I'd go to a meeting, this guy would be there. Don't ask me why. I don't know how this guy got to these meetings. It's like he was at every meeting that there was. And this guy would be there every time I would show up. Every time um, he was working on his primary purpose and he'd be in my face and he'd say, are you ready yet? And at some point I finally told him, no, I'm not. I don't think I am. And he'd go, okay. And I'd see him at another meeting. George, are you ready yet? So whenever I got home that day after that night, for some reason, I had his phone number and I called him. And he picked me up that day. And what time did I get up here? Until the sun goes down. So this guy picked me up and he started taking me to meetings every day. You know, whenever I was on the phone with him, he asked me, he said, so you got anything in the house? I said, no. You know, I was living back with mom and dad one more time. I go, you know, they don't drink. And he goes, are you sure? I go, no, I go, I got a little weed in my drawer in there, but, you know. And the whole time I was making it back from, from L.A., 
to get home, I was just going to go home and smoke a little weed and take the edge off. And don't ask me why I didn't take the edge off before I called the guy. But I called the guy first. He said, well, you need to get rid of that. And I said, oh, I will. He goes, now. I said, yeah, I will, as soon as we get off the phone. He goes, no, now, while we're on the phone. Get rid of it. What do you want? He goes, flush it down the toilet. <laughs> oh, man. That's probably one of the best and biggest decisions I've made in my life. I didn't know that at the time, but I know that today. And I went in, and I got that bag, and I dumped it, and oh, I was sad. God, I was sad. And I flushed it, and that guy came and picked me up that, that evening, and he took me to a meeting. And he started taking me to meetings every day. I uh, didn't have a car, because uh, I'd killed it. And he, would, he was just taking me to meetings. And they, then they would take me to coffee, and they'd pin me in the corner. You know, I couldn't get away. And he just kept taking me to meetings. And at some point, I, I was in one of these young people's meetings, and this guy was in the meeting, and he was funny. And I don't know exactly what he, he said that really uh, attracted me, but I asked him to be my sponsor. And he said, well, call me whenever you get home, and we'll talk about it. And I thought, talk about it? Somebody asked you to sponsor him. You're supposed to sponsor him, right? And he goes, just call me when you get home, and we'll talk about it. So I get home, and I call this guy, and he starts asking me these stupid questions, right? They, they were just stupid questions. You know, have you ever worked the steps? Well, yeah, sure I have. I did. The first time I came, I asked a guy to be the spon my sponsor the first time I came around. And he said, okay, we need to work the steps. And I told him, yeah. I go, I've already worked one, two, and three. And he goes, really? He goes, okay, then we'll get on the fourth step. He was fairly new. And he goes, okay, we'll get on the fourth step. So how I worked the first three steps is I had read them on the board. <laughs> yeah, I'm good, right? I had a little religious training whenever I was young. No problem. And so I told Frank that night, I said, yeah, I've worked the first three steps. I go, I've already worked the first three steps. And he goes, really? He goes, well, he goes, we're going to go through the steps, through the book, all over again. And I said, through the book? He goes, yeah, that's how we do it. And I said, okay. Then he asked me another question, and he asked me another question. And then it, toward the end of the conversation, he goes, Hey, George, he goes, uh, what are you running from? I said, I'm not running from nothing. He goes, I got a feeling that you're running from something. And he goes, you need to tell me what it is, otherwise I'm not going to be able to help you. I said, no, man, I'm not running from nothing. He goes, then he goes, I got a feeling. I just got a feeling that you're running from something. And I said, no, I'm not running from nothing. He goes, hey, he goes, George, you got to tell me. I go, well, I go, I haven't seen my probation officer in about three months or four months. And whenever they find me, I'm going to prison for three years. And, uh, 
He's all, you don't think that's running from something? I go, no, I'm not running. They're going to catch me eventually. I'm going to go do the three years. I was resided to that fact. Because during this year and a half that I was out, I was supposed to go, I had been sentenced to three years for selling narcotics. And I, I got an attorney and the attorney says, oh yeah, no, you won't do no time. Don't worry about it. And I wrote him a check or, hold on, I'm lying. I didn't write him a check. My mom wrote him a check. <laughs> And uh, Tell the truth. after he got that check, he, he said that it was his duty to inform me that he's a former narcotic, narcotics officer. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about you guys, but I had a problem with those guys. And now he's an attorney and now he's going to represent me. I know oh, I just got a bad feeling. So whenever we get to court, he says, hey, uh, you know, they, they're going to give you three years. Or no, 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 they're going to give you five years. I said, you told me I wasn't going to do any time. He goes, well, you told me they just got you for possession. You didn't tell me that they, they got you for sales. And I said, you have the arrest, uh, whatever it is, right there. You didn't read it? He's all, but you told me that it was whatever. So I ended up getting sentenced to three years with a one-year stay of execution. So I know they call it something different now, but back then a one-year stay of execution was, is I had one year to not get in any trouble. There hadn't been a month that went by for the last 10 years that I hadn't gotten some trouble. But I had one year, and during that year, if I, got, if I had no run-ins with law enforcement or anything of the like, I wouldn't have to do the three years, I would stay on probation. Well, about two months, and all I had to do was report. I didn't have to test. I didn't have to do none of that. All I had to do was go, make an appearance. And I think, I, I, I don't remember if I went, I think I went twice. And the third month before I went, I thought, you know what? I need to take the edge off. I just need to take the edge off. And as soon as I started taking the edge off, it was, well, I can't go there now. I'll go tomorrow. I'll go tomorrow. Tomorrow was three months later. And I ended up in the rehab. The rehab facilitated me to go back to court and they reinstated my probation. I didn't have to go do the three years. So I get out of the rehab. I'm supposed to go see the probation officer and I'd start, start drinking again, and I needed to take the edge off. I violated that probation three times, and the judge assured me the last time that I violated that if I come back in his court, I'm gonna do three years. So when that man asked me that question, he said, whenever he asked me what I was running from, he said, okay, so we know what you're doing tomorrow. Now, it was an amazing thing at that time. I had been working for two months straight Two months straight, I had been working. That was a miracle. Oh, that was a miracle. And I told him, yeah, I'm going to work. And he said, no, you're not. You're going to turn yourself in. And I go, you don't seem to understand, sir. I'm going to go to prison for three years. And there, there's no question of whether I'm not. You know, back then they had room. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> they had room. And I was, I was simple. I was going to prison for three years. And so I had to make another decision. It's pretty simple. I had to make another decision. And I made a decision I was going to listen to this man. And I was guaranteed that I was going to prison. So the next day I called the probation officer. I told him, hey, you know, this is what's going on. But I, uh, he goes, I don't care. He goes, I am going to write my report that you do the full term of your sentence. He goes, I'm done with you. So whenever they write, whenever a probation officer, parole officer writes in their report that you should do the full term, the judge 99.9% .9 of the time goes by what that man says or woman says. That's just what they do. They don't, that's what their job is. And I said, okay. You know, I knew, I knew I was going to have to take care. I just knew I was going to have to take care of it. I knew at some point they were going to pick me up and I was going to have to take care of it. And Frank had assured me that I wasn't going to stay sober if I did not take care of it. So after he told me that, he goes, I'm going to call you back in five minutes. He calls me back in five minutes. He said, okay, you show up to court on this date, which was two weeks later. I was new. My mind was already going 45,000 miles an hour. And then he tells me, two weeks? I got two weeks to think about going and doing three years? That wasn't good. So I went to court. And one more time, the judge said, George, he goes, I think you're going to do good things. He goes, I have no idea why I'm going to do what I'm going to do. He goes, but I'm going to reinstate your probation. He goes, but I guarantee you, if you get caught kicking a stick the wrong way on the street, you're going to prison. And that started my journey in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I got that monkey off my back and, you know, I thought I was a real bad guy whenever I was out there on the streets. I used to always fight and... You know, I'd been trained pretty well, and and uh, I knew whenever I went to prison, I wasn't a tough guy. <laughs> so, Frank got me working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I think Frank experimented with me, is what he did. I don't think he had very much experience with sponsoring people at the time, but I, I found out afterwards from people that that I met that Frank was referred to as a step Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> that was his nickname, the Step Nazi. Um, so he told me that you're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to go to the Tuesday Night Step Study Workshop, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And I did exactly what Jason told you that he did. I started following that man around all over the place. We went everywhere. You know, he used to go talk for, <clears throat> for IDC all over the place, and I would follow him around, and we were going to meetings all over the place. And... and I knew that there was no possible way that I was going to stay sober. It, there, there was no way. I knew at some point that this thing was going to start talking to me and I was going to have to go get busy again because that's what always happened. I would really want to stay sober. I would come here and I would really want to stay sober. Now, I didn't do nothing to support staying sober except going to a meeting once in a while. But I just knew. And I watch people get up and take cakes for three years, for five years, for 10 years, for a year. And I go, there's no way. It's not in the cards for me. At one point, I don't know how long it was, but it drove me crazy. It just absolutely drove me crazy. I'm not, there's no way. I'm not getting one of those cakes. 
it's not going to happen. And I always heard you guys in here talk about we do this a day at a time. A day at a time. And I was literally, I was going crazy going through this in my head. And I said, man, I'm just going to stay sober today. We'll see what tomorrow brings. You know, we'll see what tomorrow brings. And I've been doing this thing a day at a time for 35 years. That's what I've been doing. I haven't been doing nothing else. Right? And for all of you guys that are new, that's all you got to do. You don't got to worry about, you know, if you got 30 days, you don't got to worry about 60 days. If you got 60, you don't got to worry about 90 days. You stay right where your feet are and you don't take a drink right now. You know, I, I call Frank up <clears throat> with my problems because I had a lot of problems. And Frank would tell me, George, your only job is to not take a drink today. Everything else you give to God. Well, how do you right. do that? That's right. God, number one. That's it. And so Frank really, 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 really start pounding me. That man, if I said, hey, this is going on, and I absolutely know that we need to go right. We need to go right. And right was, I, today, I know right was the right way. It didn't matter with that man. It was whatever opposite I said, that man told me to do. He didn't give a shit. If I told him right's the right answer and it was the right answer, he goes, no, you're going left. It was, that's just the way it was, period. Right? And then I, I meet this beautiful young lady and I... Well, I got a time. This man, this man will, you, you don't understand, sir. And, uh, you know, we used to go to these dances. There would be a thousand, fifteen hundred people at these young people's dance back then. And I started having fun, man. We just started having fun. And one night I start talking to this girl, and uh, we decide that a few of us are going to go to this dance out in Hollywood. And uh, she starts stalking me. Oh, yes, it is. You obviously haven't listened. That is her story. She started stalking me. And, uh, I was about six weeks sober. She was four weeks sober. We're out to dinner one night. And she says, I don't think that we should see anybody else. And I said, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, we shouldn't. And I was stupid. I was illiterate whenever I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know that that was getting into a relationship. I went to my men's stag the next night. All I heard was, don't get in a relationship in your first year. That's all I heard. Don't get in a relationship. Don't get in a relationship. So after the meeting, you know, she was there after the meeting. And I went out and I told her, I don't want to get, I'm not going to be in a relationship. I'm not going to do it. I want to stay sober. I want to stay sober. I don't want to be in a relationship. And she gave me some BS story. She ended up coming to my house. You guys, you guys have probably heard her. If you know my wife, you've probably heard her talk and she will tell you the story. And I called Frank the next day and I go, hey, you know, I got in a relationship on Wednesday. I got out of it Thursday. <laughs> Frank's gonna be so proud of me. And Frank says, what's wrong with you? I go, what are you talking about? 
he goes, you fell into this, this thing, this relationship, and now you're going to play God and get out of it? I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Everybody here says, don't get in a relationship. He goes, yeah, now you're going to play God. You're going to do God's work. And he gave me permission to be in a relationship. So if you're new here, like I told you, if I said right, Frank said left. That's just the way it was. And if you're new here and you decide you want to get in a relationship, new in sobriety, all I can tell you is you're entitled to all the pain you can handle. That's all I can tell you. And me and Jennifer started walking this road together and, and you know, Frank, Frank had me real busy. He had her real busy. At some point in about a year, she didn't really do nothing. She would go through sponsors like crazy and me and Frank would be running around and she was going to drink. And I knew that. And I wasn't going to continue my relationship. And, and one day she, she voiced it. She was honest and said, I want to drink. Nothing's changed. And she ended up getting a sponsor and that lady changed her life. You know, we've been doing this thing together the whole time. Been doing it the whole time. It hasn't always been roses, but we've been doing it the whole time. And I got real involved. You know, I've had some, I've had some great men that have, have walked me down this thing called sobriety. You know, um, Frank, uh, through some different stuff, uh, I started working with Don, a man named Don Babb. And I had a lot of stuff going on. And, and Don taught me, God, he taught me a wealth of stuff here in Alcoholics Anonymous. He taught me how to get truly defeated at 15 years sober. At 15 years sober, that man taught me how to, to get defeated in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I remember whenever I got defeated, I thought, man, I, I'm, never, I'm good. I'm good. I don't think I, I don't think I'm gonna have to ever surrender again. <laughs> and I went to him one time. He goes, George, life is one surrender after another. That's what it is. And that's what I do. Something comes up just like today. I surrender. You know, I often think that I have the answers, and I'm gonna force my will. And these guys that are that are here, they will tell you, you know, I, uh, we had a little girl somewhere around five years sober. Actually, no, we had a girl here. We got married when we were about a year and a half sober. Um, we had a little girl about a year after that. And, uh, she grew up around Alcoholics Anonymous. She didn't grow up in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, we didn't, uh, you know, she just grew up around Alcoholics Anonymous, and, you know, my wife would always say that she, uh, <clears throat> she has a mind of an alcoholic. <laughs> she reacts like an alcoholic, and I would tell her, you don't make my daughter an alcoholic before she takes her first drink. <clears throat> so I grew up, you know, with her. We did soccer together. Um, you know, there was a man that was an alcoholic. He told me, you don't miss nothing that little girl does, and I didn't. I didn't miss nothing. I didn't miss a thing. I adjusted my meetings. I went to a morning meeting every day, and I spent my nights with her. 
And, you know, she started having some issues around 13, 14, and just little stuff that kids do, I thought, you know. She's on her phone at midnight in her room. She get in trouble for that. And we put her phone away, and then she had her phone back in her bedroom. And she lost her phone one night, and she was supposed to be in the house. And she had snuck out of the house. You know, but she went off to college. She was doing her own thing, and um, I went down for her 21st birthday, and I got to watch her drink. And it wasn't the first time she drank. I knew that. And you know, we ended up having a lot of problems with her. You know, she had two babies. She had gotten married, and me and my wife ended up raising those two little girls for about a year, year and a half, while she was in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous and breaking my soul I was doing stuff that a man that was uh, 30 years sober 29 years sober probably shouldn't be doing you know she would go around our club I didn't want her to go around the club I know it's at the club and uh, one night I have a guy up against the window at the club by his neck telling him to stay away from my daughter and there came another surrender there came another surrender. And she was living in my home, doing what she was doing. And one night it got really bad and I had to kick her out of my house. That's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But she had to leave. She had to leave. And I let go. I was, I, I had to be done. And lo and behold, whenever I let go, she got better. It's amazing how that stuff works. And like I said earlier, you know, she's, she just had four years sober. And man, we just have an amazing life. We just have an amazing life. You know, I have a, I have a village of people that I run around with and we do a lot. We're busy in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, those men taught me. Ray taught me to stay busy and Ray taught me how to meditate, you know. Don taught me how to <clears throat> be a good human being as well as Ray and Frank. And now my sponsor today, my sponsor today, Bob, Bob got sober eight months after I did. And I hated that. I hated him whenever he came to Alcoholics Anonymous. He came in with a long sleeve shirt with an alligator on it, all dressed nice. And it's like, who is this guy? He ain't gonna stay sober. Right? And when Don passed, I was lost. I was absolutely lost. I had no idea, you know. Um, and Don passed uh, <clears throat> while I was going through it with my daughter. And uh, I have all these guys that I sponsor. And for about a year and a half, they were sponsoring me. And that's exactly how it was. That's exactly how it was. And, uh, you know, I asked somebody to sponsor me and, and I knew almost immediately that wasn't going to work. And I thought that Bob was going to be my sponsor. If anything ever happened to Don, Bob's it. Bob's the only one I know that does Alcoholics Anonymous like I do. He does Alcoholics Anonymous like I do. He's solid. He was groomed by the same people I was groomed by. You know, he was taught by the same people. 
and he has a relationship with his God that I, that I desire. You know, that I desire. He seeks God like I do. And so I asked Bob to be my sponsor. Well, after some, some angst for my peers, uh, they didn't think that was going to be a good fit. And I finally just said, screw all of you. And I'm asking Bob. I knew Bob. I knew Bob. I know Bob. You know, and uh, Don was Bob's sponsor too. And, uh, you know, so I, uh, I always get up and I say that my sponsor is a newcomer. <clears throat> And uh, I don't ever let him forget it. I don't ever let him forget it. But if that, if that man tells me to do something, I do it. It's just like the first day I got sober or the 10th day I got sober. If my sponsor told me that, to do something, because I picked a man I know is not going to do nothing. He's not going to tell me to do nothing. He doesn't think that's going to benefit me. You know, it's going to make my life better. And I trust that. So if that man tells me to do something, I do it. And I still try to stay as new as I can and as current as I can with my sponsor. And if you're new here, I hope you have a sponsor. If you don't have a sponsor, get a sponsor. That's going to be your saving grace. You know, there's three sides to this triangle. And we have to do all three of them. All three of them we have to do. That's my belief. And I am so grateful that those men taught me what those three sides of that triangle are. I'm so grateful that those, those old, old, old guys, you know, wrote that book. Because I came around here and I said, I raised my hand and said I was an alcoholic. When I first came here, I walked around here and I said, I'm an alcoholic. For me to drink is to die. I had no intention on staying sober. But by that time, I knew I was probably alcoholic. I had no clue what an alcoholic was. No clue. I didn't know why I did what I did. I didn't know that whenever I would make a firm decision that I'm not going to drink tomorrow. I didn't know why I couldn't keep that, keep that promise to myself. Nobody else keep that promise to myself. I had no idea. First thing Frank did is he made me start reading that book and I couldn't, I didn't understand half of the words that were in that book. He found that out pretty quickly. He told me, hey, George, he said, you get that book and you get a dictionary. And he goes, every time you don't think you understand a word, or sometimes even if you think you know what it means, you look it up in the dictionary. We didn't have iPhones back then. I had to actually look it up in the dictionary. But I read that doctor's opinion and that doctor's opinion told my story. It told my story. It told me once I take a drink, or two drinks in my case, <coughs> once I had those two drinks, that I, I had no I, I no longer had a choice. And frankly had me go back and review my two drinks. My two drinks were never two drinks. I didn't have a choice. Didn't have a choice. And then it talked about my living problem. Talked about my living problem. And I am forever grateful that I, that, that I read because I was told to do that prior whenever I came here. So if you're new, I hope you got a book too. 
I hope you read that doctor's opinion and Bill's story, and there's a solution and more about alcoholism. And you start getting down the road with the steps. Because I watch too many people come around here and play with this thing. I watch too many people come around here and play with this thing. We just buried one on Saturday. You know, for some reason, he couldn't just, he just quite couldn't get it. And it's heartbreaking. So if you're new, welcome. I probably didn't say anything that's going to save your life today. So there's going to be another meeting tonight or tomorrow. So go to another one. I love you all. Thank you. Let's give George and Jason a hand for a great meeting. Everybody participated. And... Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> this thing's crazy. I'm your great. Yay! Anybody want to go to Vegas? <laughs> Thank you so much for um, for helping us each week. We really do appreciate you. Really? Yeah. All right. My name's Rudy. I am an alcoholic. And these are the promises. If we are painstaking about this phase in our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the world's serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They're being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic that still suffers in and out of these rooms and the innocent children caught in the crossfire, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Who brought us here? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Keep coming back. It works if you work it.